Thanks for joining us. Coming up, the IRS visits the home of a journalist as he testifies about government abuse. Is it witness intimidation? We ask a civil rights group. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried charged with bribing Chinese officials worth millions of dollars. The first hearing on the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Senators question regulators on who's to blame for the failure. The bank failed because its management failed to appropriately address clear interest rate risk and clear liquidity risk. Who exactly is paying for the bank's failure? One senator asks this. Generative AI images are starting to look very real. Stay tuned to see famous people in fake images that are going viral. More changes coming to Twitter, aiming to battle fake accounts. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us, Don Ma here. Even more charges on FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Prosecutors now say he's bribed Chinese officials. FTX filed for bankruptcy on November 11th after the cryptocurrency equivalent of a bank run. Bankman-Fried has pleaded not guilty to charges that he defrauded investors. Now he's accused of violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. According to the new charges, Chinese authorities froze certain Alameda crypto trading accounts in early 2021. Alameda is a crypto trading firm linked to FTX. Beckman-Fried allegedly tried to pay off the officials with $40 million in an effort to unfreeze those accounts. The accounts held more than a billion dollars of digital assets. They were released after the payment was transferred. Bankman-Fried is free on a $250 million bond. He's currently staying with his parents in Palo Alto, California. An arraignment is scheduled for Thursday. A spokesman for Bankman-Fried declined to comment. If convicted on all counts, he could face more than 155 years in prison. A trial has been scheduled for October. On Wall Street, stocks ended lower today. The Dow fell 38 points or 0.1%. S&P lost 6 points or 0.2%. The Nasdaq dropped 53 points or half a percent. After the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, is anything else at risk of failing? That's one of the topics at today's Senate hearing. During this hearing, officials from the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, and the U.S. Treasury answered questions from lawmakers. At the start of the hearing, Fed official Michael Barr said Silicon Valley Bank management is to blame for the banking crisis. He said its risk model was not aligned with reality. The bank failed because its management failed to appropriately address clear interest rate risk and clear liquidity risk. That interest rate risk and liquidity risk was cited, was highlighted by the supervisors of the firm beginning in November of 2021, the, uh, the board and, uh, and sorry, the, the Federal Reserve Bank um, uh, brought forward these uh, problems to the bank and they failed to address them in a timely way. But it seems like many lawmakers disagree with Barr. They blame the Fed for not taking action. Senator Tim Scott says the Fed knew about Silicon Valley Bank's risky practices for two years. Senator Elizabeth Warren called it a massive failure in supervision. All attendees at the hearing agreed that the banking industry needs more rules and regulation, especially in regard to capital and liquidity standards. Currently, regulators may not actually understand the full scope of Silicon Valley Bank's problem. Senator John Kennedy asked Fed official Michael Barr about this. You stress tested for the wrong thing. 
As I said, Senator, I agree with you that it would be useful to test for higher rising interest rates. That's why in our alternative scenario, multiple scenario that we put in place for this year's stress test, we do that. These decisions were made before I arrived, but I, I agree with you that it was But it's like somebody going in for a, 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 a test for, uh, for COVID and getting a test for cholera, isn't it? I, I don't know enough about either of those tests to know. Yeah. Well, they're different. Lawmakers were also concerned if anything else was at risk of collapse. Senator Tina Smith asked if other banks are also suffering from interest rate risks and how the Fed is monitoring them. The banking system is, is sound and resilient. Uh, mo- most banks are highly effective in managing interest rate risk and liquidity risk. It is the bread and butter uh, kind of work uh, of bank management. Uh, so we, we are monitoring uh, the financial system, monitoring the banking system. Uh, we're looking at interest rate risk and liquidity risk across the banking system to assess that. Uh, where banks need to do better at interest rate risk and, and liquidity risk management, uh, we're pointing that out. Senator Cynthia Loomis was concerned that small community banks would have to pay for a Silicon Valley ba- bank's failure. Here's a problem. The FDIC is funded by quarterly fees paid by banks. These fees are called assessments. So when the FDIC bailed out everyone at Silicon Valley Bank, it will need to raise these fees. This is to make sure it can bail out depositors for the next crash. Community banks may end up paying for this through higher assessments from the FDIC. Am I correct, Mr. Grunberg? Well, as I indicated, uh, Senator, in regard to these two institutions, um, any cost to the deposit insurance fund from covering uninsured deposits is required by law to be recovered through an assessment on the banking industry. Exactly. But if I make just one additional point, the, the law does give the FDIC authority in implementing that assessment. FDIC Chairman Martin Grunberg did not directly answer the question, but Without a doubt, many banks will have to pay higher fees. Grimberg also defended the decision to pay out both insured and uninsured depositors. He said that if this didn't happen, other banks nationwide may have been in serious trouble. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is conducting an open and thorough review of the bank collapses. The review will help the government to decide what actions to take next. It'll be out May 1st. The House Financial Services Committee has another hearing on Silicon Valley Bank's collapse tomorrow. Make sure to tune in to the show for our coverage. Now, moving on, a top lawmaker is suggesting that the IRS may have tried to intimidate a witness. An IRS agent allegedly visited the home of a journalist called Matt Taibbi on March 9th. That's the same day Taibbi testified in Congress about the Twitter files and government abuse. Congressman Jim Jordan wrote a letter yesterday to IRS and the Treasury officials requesting all documents related to the visit. Jordan said while Taibbi was testifying, an IRS agent left a note at his house. And the IRS later informed Taibbi had rejected his 2018 and 2021 tax filings over concerns of identity theft. Jordan said the IRS never mentioned problems before that on Twitter. Taibbi said he didn't want to comment until the IRS replied to Jordan's letter. Elon Musk tweeted that the timing of the visit was very odd. Jordan said his committee should investigate the IRS visit to see if it was an attempt to influence or intimidate a witness. 
Joining me is Janine Yunus, Litigation Counsel at the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Now, the IRS giving Taibi an in-person visit, this was on, on the exact day that he was testifying about the Twitter files. Now, it seems to me the IRS didn't have a problem before this, and the fact that they paid him a personal visit out of all the ways to contact him. What should I make out of this? Well, it's pretty disturbing, I think. So my understanding is that the IRS typically doesn't just show up at your house uh, if there's an issue. And he also says there was no issue. He did all of his taxes. They actually owe him money, not the other way around. Um, the fact that that occurred on the same day he testified for this new select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, which is about the federal government using its um, power in unconstitutional ways is really ironic and I think shows that it was, I mean, I can't say for certain, obviously, because we just don't know that sometimes coincidences happen, but it seems highly unlikely here. It seems as though it was an intimidation tactic because he had dared to speak out about the government's unlawful involvement in tech censorship. I'm starting to draw parallels to like, you know, classic mafia movies where like if you did something, they would pay you a visit. Is, is the IRS sending a message here? That's what they seem to be trying to do. You know, they try. They seem to be trying to say, if you uh, are going to bring to attention uh, what the government's unlawful activities, unconstitutional activities, well, we're going to punish you for it. We're going to make sure that you don't do that, so other people don't do it as well. Um, you know, this isn't the sort of uh, conduct that you see in Western first world democracies. This is the sort of thing that you are more accustomed to in authoritarian regimes, I think. So I think Americans should really be concerned about this. Would you classify this as a form of sort of censorship of speech? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think that's fair. It's uh, they're basically trying to prevent people from speaking out about what you know, what, uh, journalists. I mean, this is a journalist, a journalist who's been vocal about what he thinks is the government's unlawful interference in um, social media censorship and the tech companies' bad, uh, you know, bad censorship practices. And then you have an IRS agent showing up, and what the message that's being sent is: if you dare to do this, you're going to be punished too. You know, you have to be worried about you know <laughs> the IRS going after you. So that's what they want people to think. They're so bold is really interesting too. You know, they're not they're not doing this behind closed doors. They wanted people to know. So I think it's clear that they want Americans to get that message. Right, right. That that's a very good point. It happens on the exact same day he was testifying yeah. on the Twitter files. What was exactly. your impression of that of that hearing? Uh, well, the, the hearing was very interesting, and the conduct of a couple of Democrats, particularly Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, comes to mind, was shameful. Um, I mean, they were attacking journalists, uh, in addition to Taibbi uh, Michael Schellenberger, who have investigated this whole, um, this whole enterprise, the government big tech censorship. Um, and they were sort of trying to smear them and suggest that they were doing this for opportunistic reasons, that they shouldn't be listened to because the subcommittee was, um, you know, seen as a Republican, uh, politically ideal or sort of ideologically Republican committee, uh, when these were journalists who were talking about what they had discovered when investigating these issues. Um, it was really, uh, it was really embarrassing and un-American, frankly. Do you think maybe the, the, there's a, a bit of politics in this, uh, where, you know, the right is doing something and then the left using the IRS is doing something in retaliation. Do you think there's a dynamic uh, here? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that's exactly what's going on. Um, you know, this is seen as a right-wing enterprise, even though it shouldn't be. Really, all Americans should be concerned about the government's involvement in social media censorship. Um, but it's been smeared as a sort of right-wing uh, 
the concern and the left claims that they're just concerned about people's lives as though, you know, <laughs> when it's really much more complicated than that. And so it's clear that they're trying to use the IRS to go after political opponents, in my opinion. That's what this episode shows. All right. Thank you so much today, Janine. Pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And the House Energy and Commerce Committee held a hearing today on big tech censorship. Those testifying included journalists Michael Schellenberger and Seth Dillon. He's the CEO of Babylon Bee. Tune in at 6.30 p.m. Eastern for our evening news with Stephanie Cox of their coverage of the hearing. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, find out how famous faces and the digital art industry are being disrupted by AI. An AI that can use tools as humans can in the future. This is what an AI expert tells us. Will AI replace human jobs en masse? We try to answer this question. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Apple catching the buy now, pay later train. It launched its own service in the United States today. The move is likely to disrupt the sector dominated by firms like Affirm and Swedish company Klarna. You can split buys into four payments over six weeks with no interest or fees. The amounts range from $50 to $1,000, and it works with businesses that accept Apple Pay. Apple says 85% of U.S. retailers currently accept it. Buy now, pay later boomed during the pandemic as people shifted to online shopping. But high inflation has dampened people's purchasing power and it's forced consumers to tighten their belts. There are 120 million iPhone users in the U.S. A firm stock dropped 7% today and Apple stock dipped 0.4%. More changes are coming to Twitter. CEO Elon Musk says soon only paid subscribers will show up in the For You feed. Starting April 15th, the tab you see when you first sign in will only recommend accounts who pay for premium Twitter service. Also, non-subscribers will not be allowed to vote in polls. Musk said the change aims to battle bot accounts. Artificial intelligence continues to cause disruptions with fake images going around on the Internet, most recently of Pope Francis. And T.T. Marshall has more. AI image generators are causing disruptions. Most recently, a fake image of Pope Francis. Not long after, Twitter attached a reader-added context warning to the tweet that reads, this is an AI-generated image of Pope Francis. It is not a genuine photo. I spoke with Jake Maymar about this. He regularly has to keep up with innovative tech. Basically, uh, we now have the tools to make anything we want. And now these tools, these AI art generators, can create images that are indistinguishable from reality. And last week, it was fake Donald Trump arrest photos that allegedly got a BuzzFeed reporter banned using the art program Midjourney. The term arrested was also banned from the image generating platform. Maymar gave me his opinion on what people will need to do to distinguish fakes. It's going to get easier and easier. Right now, it's just stills but it's gonna get to videos. And then eventually, because I do XR, it's gonna be spatial in some way. And each step is gonna be harder and harder to determine if that's, you know, is that real, is that not real? Um, And so we're gonna have to have basically AI on top of that to determine 
how real is that? You know, almost like a fact checker. Recently, Adobe, well known for the program Photoshop and other digital art programs, has been forced to pivot to generative AI art services. Forced in that it needs to keep up with rapid changes in technology. Adobe says its recently released art program doesn't use copyrighted imagery like other programs do. We had Midjourney make a picture similar to the Pope Francis picture of anchor Don Ma wearing a 1990s white puffer jacket. Does it look real to you? Sean Marshall, NTD News. Looks pretty good. Now, 300 million jobs globally could be impacted by artificial intelligence. This is according to recent Goldman Sachs research. At greatest risk of becoming replaced by AI are lawyers and administrative staff. The good news is that though most people would not be replaced by AI, 63% of the workforce will not see significant automation. But on the other hand, 7% of U.S. workers are at risk of replacement. The research also says AI could actually lead to a productivity boom, could increase the global GDP by 7% in 10 years. And joining me is Alexander DeRitter. He's the co-founder and visionary for InkForAll.com. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you today, Alex, um, you know, with, with AI developing so fast, you know, are you worried at all about jobs being replaced? Maybe let's start off with what kind of jobs uh, will be affected or will be replaced in the future by AI? Uh, thank you for having me today. So uh, the world is going to go through three main phases of, auto, of, uh, of, of, of economic replacement. The first one is going to be knowledge work. The second one is going to be manual labor. And the third one is going to come to a post-scarcity society when it comes to resources. Um, they're going to, the first two waves are really already underway and they're starting. And will initially, the first phase of knowledge work, it will be, um, it will be first human augmentation. It means that with less people, you can do more. Now, that actually does not mean less employment. It just means more competition, more startups, faster pace. And so everything we think um, we think is going fast today will basically go even faster. And you'll be able to make great companies with less people. Um, this phase after this is going to be where we're going to see a little bit of a different uh, trend where AI is going to start working alongside humans, not just a tool for us, but a tool that can use other tools just like humans can and can collaborate with each other and with us. Okay, I see. I, I guess you're sort of saying that with more advanced AI, it doesn't necessarily mean higher unemployment. I guess uh, that's sort of what you're saying. Um, there was another aspect that you talked about. You're saying AI could sort of work alongside humans and use tools like humans will be able to use tools. Now, should we be worried about that? I mean, if you look at uh, popular popular culture, we see you know movies like iRobot. We see like Terminator. Should we be worried about this? Well, we should absolutely think about that. Um, the the reality of it is, though, that there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube when it comes to innovation. Um, humans will uh, create this technology. The question is, rather, how do we do it in a safe way? And so 
we need to create some regulatory standards just like uh, data protection laws have been enacted around the world. We have to create some regulatory standards uh, in partnership with the industry and the researchers to ensure that bad actors do not use AI for nefarious purposes. And, you know, uh, in the United States, people really are familiar with this debate. Um, most people will agree that having um, that having ability for self-defense is on its own a good thing. Most reasonable people will also agree that those things can be used for bad purposes and, and create societal problems. And that there is a balance to be struck between the, the needs of uh, protection in society as well as self-defense. Uh, the same will be true for artificial intelligence. And I believe the coming years, we will hear a lot a lot of debate and back and forth going about that. Ultimately though, uh, we need to agree on a constitution for or regulatory framework for what we deem societally as a society acceptable for this and how we believe this technology should be used. I thank you, Alex, for the discussion today. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. Taking a break, still to come, Tesla's safety probe. Why is an agency looking into the company's seatbelts? And a restaurant serving customers food waste, raising awareness about discarded food that's still good. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Federal regulators are investigating reports that some Tesla Model X seatbelts can detach while a person is driving. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's probe covers about 50,000 SUVs from this year and last year's models. It says it's received about two reports about the safety of the belts, though neither one involved an accident. The agency says the belts weren't sufficiently connected to the anchor during assembly. It says it's going to look into the manufacturing process. A restaurant in the southern Swedish city of Malmo has been serving diners meals prepared with food waste. The eatery's goal is to make diners more aware of the problem. NTD Andrew Thomas has the dining details. Eleanor Lindblom Moline and Eric Anderson Moline are the co-owners of Spill, Swedish for waste. The duo left a Michelin-starred restaurant to launch the lunch-only establishment in May 2018. They plan the menu every morning based on what's delivered. If you don't do it, uh, they will throw it away in any way. They will have this food waste, even if we not exist. So for me, uh, I think we are inspiring to the guests. The kitchen team sorts through everything to see what's still good. Then they decide on the day's dishes. I mean, obviously we want to make a change, but uh, we are not politicians and we have no idea how. Uh, the only the only thing for us is that we, we run this as an example. The meat, vegetables, and other ingredients they use would otherwise be thrown away, even though they're safe to eat. Items that are close to their sell-by date or ingredients that look unappealing are often discarded. There is a lot of food that is produced, and uh, I think uh, uh, one of the reasons is the shelf is getting full at the suppliers. 
and uh, some of them is the beauty and some of them is the date. So yeah, the experience date. Eurostat estimates that more than 60 million tons of food were wasted in 2020. For Spill's customers, they feel like they're doing their part. The, the idea of eating uh, waste, like, yeah, food waste, uh, is a, actually a really, really good idea. Uh, I, I come here at least weekly, uh, and for me this is also a way that I can eat meat with a little less uh, bad consciousness, uh, since I know that it would probably be waste anyway. The concept has proved popular with diners so far. So the couple are planning to open a second restaurant in 2023. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's it for the news today. But before we go, we want to let you know that we're going to start reading viewer feedback on the show every now and then. So today we start with thanking our viewer Bonnie for emailing us. She said, the NTD Business News Show is a refreshing take on business news reporting. Stumbled on it accidentally and now watch it every day. Really like that the show sticks to business news, remains unbiased and without opinion. She thanks us for a job well done. Now, if you want your comments showcased, simply email us or leave a comment. Our email is business at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.